scripture before Jim's lesson is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's good to be here with you. My, um, my voice, I hope, will hold up for the next 30 minutes. I was frustrated not being able to sing. I like to sing, but it was nice to hear your voices uh, as well. This morning we're going to talk about a very familiar subject, and that is the gospel. It's a term we hear often in the church. It might even be a term uh, we use when we speak with our Christian friends in Bible class. Uh, but it is such a rich term. And, and what does the gospel mean? How is it defined? But how does it impact me more importantly? When I hear the word gospel, my mind usually goes first to Romans 1.16, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power, the Greek word there, dunamis, or dynamite. It's God's power to save. It took dynamite to save us, you know that? <laughs> not, not a little power, a lot of power. Because this world is filled with trouble and sin and brokenness. And the Bible's promise is that it is Christ and the good news of his sacrifice on the cross that we remember every Sunday that is breaking that curse, that breaks the power of sin and its impact on our lives. The reason it is important for Paul to introduce the powerful gospel that has the power to save is because in Romans 1.18 he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness, and against those who suppress the truth. The truth is not unknowable. It is, however, Something people put a veil on and push down and say, I don't want to hear it. Don't show me that. I'd rather think and talk about other things right now. But God's wrath is coming against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Don't you want to know the truth? Not right now. But the gospel is God's power to save and the emphasis of the lesson this morning is that the gospel does far more than save the lost. It gives sight to the blind. One of your, our favorite hymns, Amazing Grace, ends with the chorus saying, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Ryan Seacrest will pay off your bills, but you can get more bills 
What Christ does for us spiritually is not only rescue our bankrupt souls, he brings us into the light of the gospel. Just as we sang a moment ago in the third stanza, give me the Bible, all my steps enlighten. What Jesus does is not only save you. He not only wipes your debt clean, but he brings you into a family of riches and wealth beyond your wildest dreams. Of course, we're not talking about money. We're talking about something far more important. Maybe you've heard the quote, um, I knew a man so poor that all he had was money. The gospel comes from this Greek word, euangelion. You've heard that before. It means good news. In the gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, we come across this word rather quickly. As Jesus is speaking here, he says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. When a king would announce his, uh, his coming to a town, he would have to send messengers forward. And they would nail signs on posts. They would stand in the open squares and verbally announce that the king is coming or <clears throat> in the first century, Caesar is coming. That was supposed to be good news that they were going to be visited by the great king or by Caesar. I'm not sure all saw it that way. But the word itself, gospel, was used very often before Jesus ever used it because it was announcing the coming of a king. And why else would a king come except to help, to rescue, to protect, to provide for the kingdom? In this case, Jesus would say, turn your life around and believe in this good news that the king of kings is coming to you. And why is the arrival of King Jesus going to be such good news? Well, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus on the Sabbath is in his home congregation there in uh, Nazareth at the synagogue, he's handed a scroll of Isaiah the prophet and he begins to read. And there in Luke 4, verses 18 through 19, Jesus reads of Isaiah's prophecy of what the Messiah, the anointed one, the king would do. He would heal the brokenhearted. He would preach deliverance to the captives, of course by sin. Recovery of sight to the blind. He would set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he would preach this good news. The acceptable year of the Lord. That's what the king would do. You probably also know where I'm going with the word gospel because you can't talk about the gospel without going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. 
where Paul says this. He's talking to Christians. He says, brethren, I've already declared unto you the gospel. I've preached it to you. You've received it, and you are standing in it now. By which also you were saved. Why is it such good news that the king is coming to my town? He's going to save you. By this good news, you were saved, Christian Corinthians, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain, for I delivered to you of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. Why is the coming of this king supposed to be such good news? Because he's going to put his life on the line, and not just on the line, he's going to die to rescue us. Because this king is not human alone, he's God. He could not stay dead, could he? According to the scriptures, he would be buried and he would rise again. On the third day. Again, what I want to emphasize this morning is that King Jesus does far more than wipe away our spiritual debt by forgiving our sins. He is our light in this world of darkness. And we not only need him to rescue us, but we need him every day. We need him every day to light our path. I think far too many Christians get swallowed up by life and robbed of joy, robbed of peace, because they forget they live in a kingdom where only light shines. I would like for you, if you're not already there, to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul is... Spending most of his time in this book defending himself. He's having to defend his apostleship. People are questioning his authority. They're questioning his motives. He spends a lot of his time saying, I don't know why you would question my motives. I never took anything from you. I came, you saw me work hard. And I'm not selling anything. I'm not asking you for anything. Now, I know the first letter I wrote made you a little upset. It brought you to tears. But godly sorrow is good. So I don't apologize for that. It might not be the most popular, but I'm speaking on behalf of Jesus. And so he, in chapter 4, verse 1, you'll find this phrase, we do not lose heart. If you skip ahead to verse 16, he says again, therefore we do not lose heart. Now I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 this morning, but it's important to note that what Paul is going to say is sandwiched between his two encouragements. Do not lose heart. I said do not lose heart. Do not give up. Don't give up on me as your... Um, father in the faith, he calls them his children, but don't give up on the Lord. 
Do not give up on Christ. Do not lose heart. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. This is part of Paul's defense. Back in chapter 2 and verse 17, Paul says, We were not peddling the word of God. We didn't pass the plate and ask for your money. But we preached in sincerity and we preached before God and Christ himself. So our motives are sincere. And we've not been walking in craftiness. We've not been preaching deceitfully. We've just been telling you the truth. Here he is back in verse 2. But by the manifestation of the truth, we've been commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Very quickly, there's three enemies here of the gospel. One enemy is deceiving preachers who are peddling the word who are preaching error for gain, saying whatever needs to be said to please the crowd. Paul said, we're not doing that at all. My only motive is to share the antidote to your problem. As some of you know Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson used to say, <clears throat> if you had the cure to cancer, if you discovered it, wouldn't you share it with people? Or would you just keep it to yourself, this amazing secret that cures cancer? You just watch people die every day all around you of cancer. You'd keep your mouth shut about it. Of course not. We'd be shouting, shouting the cure from the mountaintops. Paul says, that's what I'm doing with the gospel. The reason I've come to you and I've done so at great expense to myself personally I've suffered shipwrecked and stoning and all sorts of things for you and for the gospel. And I've done that not out of false motives, but out of pure desire to share the good news of what Christ brings to you. But an enemy of the gospel is deceitful preaching. Another enemy, he says, is in verse 3, blind eyes. He says, the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. I do not for a minute believe that the world is in some trance. And those poor people, if only they could see the gospel right here. If only they could just see it. No. It's a big blanket they've laid over the top that they could pull back any time. But they don't want to see what's under there. They don't want to follow the king. The king does come with certain demands if you're going to be a citizen in his kingdom. One man said that even a blind man can feel the heat from the sun. I think a blind world 
they know God exists. It's self-evident. They have to ignore and suppress that fact. And so they willingly veil their eyes to the truth. But it's there. And anyone who seeks will find. Anyone who knocks, the door will be open. God is not hiding, but people are hiding from God, aren't they? And so the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. They don't pull the veil off. They don't investigate, and so they don't know what wondrous riches await the person who obeys the gospel. The Greek word used here for our English word veiled is a word that means hidden, but it is something in reach of the eye, but covered so as not to be seen. It's not out of sight, it's in sight, it's in plain view, but it's, it's covered, it's got a veil on it. It's not unseeable, it's just veiled. And a third enemy, of course, all of these tie together, is the devil himself. The reason truth is covered to so many is because the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. <clears throat> Remember the parable of the sower? Jesus said a man was sowing seed, and it fell by all these four different kinds of soil. Rocky soil, thorny soil, of course there's good soil, but then there was wayside which is barely even soil. It's like road that's so packed down and hard the seed can't penetrate. And in Jesus explaining the parable, he says the seed is the word of God. And for some people, their hearts are so hard that like the birds of the air that come and just eat that seed, the devil comes and he snatches the word right out of their grasp lest they should see the light of the gospel and obey it. The light of Christ and the light of the gospel needs to be reflected in our daily lives. And when we do this, the hope is that we will also draw people to the light of King Jesus himself. So he ends down there in verse 16 when he says, Therefore we <clears throat> do not lose heart. Even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Paul is acknowledging to these brethren, I know the struggle of being a Christian is real. And I don't want you to lose heart. I don't want you to give up. I want you to be renewed today to walk in God's light. You know Psalm 119 where David said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The gospel, very plainly, is the good news of King Jesus not just coming to save, but coming to rescue us from a broken world every day 
shining light into our eyes so that we can see the truth. So we aren't wandering in a dark world. That verse 6, 2 Corinthians 6, is such a a power-packed statement. Paul says this, he says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shone in our hearts. The light that is shining in our hearts is the same God that created the sun to shine out of darkness. And then he says this, now keep in mind, the pursuit, the pursuit of the Israelite nation uh, was light and enlightenment. The pursuit of the Greeks, they would tell you, is knowledge. That's what we pursue. The pursuit of the Romans, they would say, is glory. And so the Gospels appeal to all people of all nations, of all cultures, is that this light shining in our hearts is to give light and knowledge and the glory of God all in the face of Jesus Christ. Now he's contrasting this to something he said back in chapter 3 and verse 13 when he was talking about Moses who had to put a veil over his face because when Moses saw God, remember God's glory gave him the sunburn of a lifetime. So he had to put a veil over his face because it was glowing. Jesus has removed the veil and in the face of Jesus we see a glow all right. We see light, we see knowledge, we see glory all in the face of of Jesus Christ. My question to you before we sing the invitation song is the same one I ask all the time. When you end a, when I end a, a sermon, I typically will say, "Are you a Christian?" I asked the same question this morning. Are you a Christian? But I want you to know that the invitation of Christ is not just to shed the burden of sin for one moment in time. It is forever. And it is Christ's promise not just to pay your debt, but to come into your life and shine light into your heart so that your Christian walk is not just one of looking backward of that one good day when I became a Christian, but it is a Happy day every day, knowing that Christ is with you to protect, to guide, to provide, to be the king you can't wait to come to your town. The good news of the gospel is the salvation of your soul, but it is the well-being and quality of your life every day. I know the only reason joy exists in my life is because God put it there. I see horrible things on the news every day and sometimes I think, well, that could happen to me. That could be me. It still could. The devil's still out there spoiling things. Bad things happen all the time. But the gospel changes the way we look at everything. You want to take my life? 
That's fine too. Christians are okay dying because it is only at that point that we're released from this body of death, as Paul says. I want you to simply examine your own life if you're not in Christ and ask yourself, is there something better? There's got to be something better. Surely I wasn't created to just wake up miserable every day and hate life every day and hate my job, hate my boss, hate my neighbors, hate my family members, hate the car I'm driving, hate everything about life, hate my little bank account. I just don't even want to live anymore. Christ will change that thinking. He will turn it all around. You may still be sitting in poverty, but you're not going to think about it the same way. You might still have to fight whatever physical ailment you're fighting. But you're not going to look at it the same way. You might still have enemies at work, and your boss might remain the horrible boss he or she always has been. But you're not going to look at it the same way. Because for some reason, when something this great comes into one's life, all of the small things, they they just don't matter anymore. They just don't matter. When a blessing as great as Christ and salvation is offered to you, all of the other things, they're just small and insignificant. They're not even worthy to be compared with the weight of glory. Paul says that, awaits us. And that was his message to the Corinthians. If the church can study with you more, we want to. If you have questions, we'd be happy to do our best to go into God's word and see if there's an answer there. But we're pretty sure we understand the message of salvation, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and rose again. And that the call for us is to also die to our sins, be buried with him in baptism, and raise up new birth, new start. Why are you waiting, Paul? Ananias said, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. If the church can help you, won't you come while we stand and while we sing?